0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte. Hi, it's Ann Emerson from Unsolved South Carolina. The Murdochs, Murders, Money, and Mystery. We have the update right now. It's an update we've been telling you was coming today. It is from the state. They have responded to the motion from the defense of Alec Murdoch about the jury tampering allegations. We just got it about an hour ago, and we wanted to go ahead and give you this update before we started a deep dive podcast into everything that happened yesterday in Beaufort County with defendants Alec Murdoch and his alleged co-conspirators, Russell Lafitte and Corey Fleming, who was sentenced yesterday. So we're going to start off. We have uh, on the phone with us, Our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon, former South Carolina's attorney general. We also have Drew Tripp in here along with myself. So let's just kick it off. Drew, we just received this uh, motion from the uh, prosecution, as we said, from the attorney general's office. What was the headline to you?
2: All right. So I think the biggest takeaway, I think the biggest takeaway in what this filing says is... Essentially that they have found some disputable uh, uh, disputable uh, facts or evidence uh, regarding the Murdoch team's allegations of jury tampering. So they're referencing the investigation that was launched by SLED in response to Murdoch's team announcing their request for a retrial and alleged jury tampering what we have here today is a motion essentially to dismiss that motion or or a a a, what the state is trying to do is say hey there were some procedural errors in how murdoch's team filed that whole affidavit and everything that went into that and they said listen we will concede I, i think that's very much Uh, what's happening in this filing by the state and the attorney general's office, they're conceding there are some issues that they feel are worthy of a hearing based on what Murdoch's team put out there and the affidavits they got from the jurors. They're conceding there might be room for a hearing here. However, they say it's a non-starter because the actual filing itself by Murdoch's team was deficient. It didn't meet some standards procedural standards with within the scope of the State law, state precedent on what boxes they needed to check to actually file a motion like this, and we'll have Charlie kind of elaborate on yeah.
1: that. So, Charlie, um, talk to me about what you read. We sent, we immediately sent this response over to you, and you've had a chance to look at it now. What did you? What is your big takeaway? Because this is um, asking for ten days, right, for the um, defense to come back with also an affidavit from Alec Murdoch. I
3: thought it was a twist. Bit of a surprise what the state is saying in the headline. You're correct, Drew. the headline is going to be State Disputes the uh, Claims of the Defense Due to an Objective Ongoing Sled Investigation. But that's really just one line in this two or three page. Uh, 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 I guess it's a response to the defense. And yeah, that, but uh, that's going to grab the headlines. Of course, there's no supporting affidavits from the state, just this claim that. Uh, and I'm not saying it's not correct, but there's no information other than that they do dispute uh, the, uh, the outright claims of the uh, of the defendant. They don't say that none of them are, are somewhat accurate or have some truth to them. So hence your point that they concede there might need to be an evidentiary hearing. But what they've done, they've punted. They've said under this DeAngelis case, you've got to have a motion for a new trial for after discovered evidence under this deangelis case from 1971 you have to have an affidavit by the defendant from alec murdoch himself so they've 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 asked the court of appeals to give the defense time another 10 days to get this affidavit and to respond more specifically as to when where and how they've learned about this information so interesting response basically gives the state more response more time and i'm going to be fascinated as to the response of the defendant as to all this, but long story short, more time before we get into the substance of the state's response to the specific claims of jury tampering via affidavit by the defense.
1: As far as the Alec Murdoch affidavit that they want um, to be produced because of the DeAngelis, which by the way, 1971—that's yes. that's a that's over 50 years ago, Charlie. That's a uh, that's a that's yeah, a pretty seen, old case, yeah. all right
3: looks like they dug deep into the playbook so to speak to find more time and i don't know if the case has been cited and i haven't had time to research it but i did read that paragraph and it does say that that we want an affidavit from the defendant himself if we're going to consider a motion for a new trial based upon after discovered evidence i will say this may be too much in the weeds, but I'm thinking the defense is going to say, no, 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 you're you're looking at after discovered evidence when typically a defendant will claim, oh, I, I found out that somebody else did it and there's information. This one really, this isn't, I mean, it's in the nature of an after discovered evidence uh, motion, but really it's, 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 it's jury tampering going to the heart of the process, so to speak so i don't know if the defense is going to try and make that distinction early on but regardless there's another 10 days before anything really comes up from the defense they're saying and so that i'm assuming the court of appeals may give the state time to respond to that so we've got a bit of a delay here and of course the court of appeals is free to say at this point what they want and they say well that's your response. We think the affidavit requirement is, is uh, based on this old case, is not required, or we're going to make some other decision. But my suspicions are they're going to let this kind of sort out between the two parties and see how it all shakes out with an affidavit. Which, again, I think from the defendant would be relatively easy to procure. But the state is, is insisting upon that uh, being done. Well,
2: go ahead. Yeah, ben. and just a succinct way to put that is the the brass tacks s- simple. Most concise way to put it is: there, the procedural error they're claiming is that this filing from Murdoch's lawyers did not include an affidavit from Alec Murdoch himself. It included right. affidavits from the the jurors. It included an affidavit from Phil Barber, one of his, uh, one of Dick Harpootlian and Jim Griffin's co counsel, but not Alec himself. And that's the 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 basis for them saying this is a deficient filing and. Please, court, order them to f- fix it in ten days before we proceed.
1: Correct. So that's it. Well, saying, uh, I sort of set sort up of a punt at this point. Yeah. Well, and you know this this kind of we get into we get into it a little bit coming up in this podcast, but we. uh you know, we t- I talked about like the way, you know, the the prosecution, they had so much to prepare for yesterday um, to have to come back in 10 calendar days and deal with this jury tampering allegation, which is very serious. It helps to be able to say, hey, we got a SLED investigation going on. It kind of the narrative of, of this is actually um, this makes a lot of sense from just a logistical standpoint, doesn't it?
3: I agree. I noticed that Don Zelenka, who's head of uh, the criminal section, signed it. I'm assuming he had a lot to do with preparing it. And I can just see the conversation between <laughs> between Creighton and Don, can't you? Hey, what, how are we going to answer this? We've got these lead uh, responses back, and just, they still need more time. Hey, isn't there some way to look at this from a different... And sure enough, I do think that D'Angelo's case appears to say what they do say it says, and that there's an affidavit, which is really just a... Doesn't go to the merits; it's just a procedural requirement uh, for this this type of a motion. So we'll see what the court of appeal does.
1: Yeah, and but, we'll uh, probably hear think, from them soon, right, Charlie?
3: Yeah, and I do think I do think the headline. I thought it was very clever of them to put into the uh, this response. It's really only like I don't know how many words, like twenty words. It just says uh, an, uh, an objective, ongoing sled investigation. Uh, dispute some of the factual allegations, in effect, from from the defense. Period. I mean, there's nothing other than that, and that seems to be the headline that's been uh, out there uh, from the from most news media sources.
2: And here's, uh, I'll I'll read it verbatim. I have it in front of me. Uh, and this is from page three of the filing, after they lay some lay some case history groundwork first. Then they specifically address what's going on. They write, and this is Don Zelinka signing it, so I would uh, assume this is Don Zelinka writing it. Uh, he says, quote, "...it may well be that suspension of the appeal and a remand for an evidentiary hearing will be necessary to properly resolve some of the serious claims raised by appellant in the motion he intends to file." Objective investigation by SLED remains ongoing, but the inquiry has already revealed significant factual disputes as to claims in appellant's motion. If no credible evidence can be found to support the claims brought by appellant, the state will be prepared to argue against the motion before the Honorable Clifton B. Newman on remand. (laughs) However, at present... At present, appellant's request for a remand is procedurally defective. A review of the motion does not reveal precisely when or how it is he learned of the claims he now raises, nor has appellant provided the affidavit required by DeAngelis.
1: So there, so there we have it. I guess, I guess Charlie, we'll um, we'll be able to circle back on this next week, hopefully, when the the court gets back with um, whether or not they agree to this. But it sounds like yeah, it's yeah, on. The... We may get
3: a response from the defense too. And I was wrong; it's five pages. you so, this, this return, this this uh,
1: response.
2: Four, it's four pages. Four, very short.
1: Very short, and um, I think kick the can down the road a little bit more, right?
2: Yes.
3: Yes, I think that's that's that, that's the substantive part of this. I do think the headline is they dispute
2: the affidavits, but they don't by elaborate. By one sentence.
1: But like you said, yeah, they don't elaborate. They uh, they don't give us anything to chew on yet.
2: No, nothing specific,
3: <laughs> and you know, this this could be a trial again. Here we are, at Murdoch. Something, gosh, these, these these twists. This looks like there could be a trial. Uh, in a trial relative to the credibility of these different claims by jurors. Well, I, I, I don't think I've ever even heard of this being done in South Carolina.
1: It just gets stranger and stranger. Well, I'm so glad we could get you. Uh, Charlie, thank you so much. Uh, we oh, have no. we have a fantastic uh, podcast episode coming right now. So everybody, uh, hang on. We will bring you the latest on what happened in Beaufort County yesterday. Thanks so much.
4: What say you, Richard Ellen Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country.
5: The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered.
6: At the end of the
3: investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history.
1: Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdochs, Murders, Money, and Mystery. I am joined with our executive producer, Drew Tripp, over here. We've got, of course, our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon, the former South Carolina Attorney General, and I am also your host, Ann Emerson. And today, we are going to be talking about what happened yesterday at an extraordinary event where we actually saw three of the three of the main characters in what we've been hearing in the Murdoch saga for quite a while now all come together. We had Alec Murdoch, the defendant. We had the defendant, Russell Lafitte, and the defendant, Corey Fleming. Before we get started, we do want to let you know that there will be an update coming later today, and we are going to keep you up-to-date online and also on this podcast as far as a motion it's going to be a response to the motion that was filed by the defense attorneys of Alec Murdoch regarding those jury tampering allegations and we will certainly uh, make sure that we get um, Mr. Condon's two cents make sure that we know (laughs) exactly what you think about this motion the response to the motion later today as well. And hopefully Drew and I will be able to keep you up to speed as well. So stay with us on social media, on our Twitter, on our Facebook, online, and on this podcast because this response is obviously going to be very important as far as how the state is going to handle what happens next in the jury tampering allegations of the double murder trial Um, but let's get to what happened yesterday and why don't we go ahead Mm -hmm. and start it off with a clip from uh, Judge Clifton Newman as he was sentencing one of the defendants Corey Fleming this is what Judge Newman had to say about what was going on
0: there's
3: no way there was a case in this state where the amount of thievery exceeded
2: what's occurred in this case.
1: I think one of the things that Judge Newman said was unprecedented in the state of South Carolina that we have never seen this level of thievery and misconduct by lawyers. What was your takeaway from what Judge Newman had to say about sentencing Corey Fleming?
3: Well, I don't know where to start other than to say that Judge Newman fan club, I just thought that he... Was just terrific in his reasoning for the 20 year sentence. He did talk about the severity here, and I don't think I've ever seen in state court, much less any court, the complete rendition of factual material during a guilty plea as Creighton Waters
2: uh, related. It was unbelievable. It went on for what, two, three hours? Yes. An absolute, just rock solid blow by blow succinct easy to follow and staying true to a theme he kept coming back around kept coming back around he had his main points that he was hitting and he kept the story he kept the narrative tied together and brought it all home and made it so easy a child could understand it and pointed out that his main thesis again Corey Fleming was not a victim Corey Fleming was not duped by Alex Murdoch Corey Fleming was intimately involved in the conspiracy.
3: Yeah,
1: Drew, take us through. Uh, give us a nice little brief synopsis of of Corey Fleming, what what he was facing yesterday. Now, defendant Corey Fleming obviously is one of the co-conspirators of Alec Murdoch. Um, two of his co-conspirators were there, so Russell Lafitte and Corey Fleming both had separate hearings going on, but this was a sentencing hearing for the state crimes, right? So, so where were we with the Corey Fleming sort of part of this story when we went into that courtroom yesterday?
2: Right, so Fleming earlier this month, late last month, the, 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 days, the days and hours are running together, but Corey Fleming, as you all know and as we've covered, Corey Fleming pleaded guilty. Uh, to his state grand jury indictments on charges of breach of trust, fraud. Uh, He was charged with making false statements, insurance fraud. Uh, He was also charged with money laundering and computer crimes. Uh, Fancy ways of saying, again, just money laundering and fraud and wire fraud, Uh, those those types of crime. It, It gets a little more technical than that. He pleaded guilty to all 22 charges that he was facing from the state grand jury. And yesterday was his sentencing hearing. Now, on top of that, Fleming, last month, also pleaded guilty. Actually, he, this was earlier this summer that he pleaded guilty. He entered a guilty plea with the federal government, the U.S. Attorney's Office, to a single count of conspiracy uh, and that was related to the same charges, substantially the same charges, which, which is what we're seeing with all the financial crimes in both the state and federal venues. They're essentially the same crimes. They're just two sovereigns. Yeah, and I, yeah,
3: and I tell you what was, to me was just highly unusual about this is that, in fact, that you did have two separate sovereigns. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't the Dylan Roof case. This is a financial crimes case. So you had the federal government prosecuting along with the state government. And it was clear to me yesterday the theme from Creighton Waters and really from Judge Newman mm-hmm. was this was a state problem and we're going to issue out a state punishment. And he did say expressly he wasn't going to defer to federal court, which I think is perfectly proper and uh, the right thing for him to say. But I was just really impressed that he said it and uh, laid it all out there that apparently Judge Gergel was recommending that the Judge Newman follow his sentence and not exceed it. And Judge Newman said, uh, I have a lot of respect for Judge Gurgle, but I have a job here to do. I'm a state court judge. These are state court crimes, a 20-year sentence. I'm here not for leniency. I'm here for justice, tempered with mercy. Very impressive.
2: Yeah, and it was also, yesterday was a stark contrast to what we saw, as was the actual plea hearing earlier this month uh, for Corey Fleming in state court. It was a stark contrast to what we'd seen in federal court, where the... U.S. Attorney's Office, the prosecutors there were very, uh, I'm, I'm searching for the right word, the one that comes immediately to mind is uh, they, they were giving credit. They were giving credit to Corey Fleming for cooperating, mm, uh, coming and,
1: forward. Yeah,
2: to, for stepping up, for being forthright with them and helping in their investigation into Russell Lafitte, Alec Murdoch, essentially being the one to take responsibility and help the government make its case. Right.
3: Did he testify in the defeat trial? He did not. Yeah, no, did. I'm so kind of a little bit puzzled about the cooperation in terms of the state or federal government knowing it because we, I sat there and Alec Murdoch under oath uh, admitted to all okay. the financial crimes. Yeah. So it, one of the easier prosecutions I think they're ever gonna have uh, from the state of South Carolina, I believe. We'll see how that goes out uh, with the upcoming trial. November, was it 27th for Alec Murdoch?
1: November 27th was Mm -hmm. Satterfield trial, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was one of the the things that came out yesterday was Alec Murdoch it was a busy day. It was a really big busy mm-hmm. day, and one of the things that was going on that um, that Charlie's mentioning, of course, is that Alec Murdoch has now got a, a trial date set for for his participation with his co-conspirator Corey Fleming, who just uh, went down for twenty years for for all of this. Um, and so this is. Uh, he will be in November twenty seventh. I got a lot of questions about well, that too. Yeah, I'll be sure. honest with you, like why this is why this is going to go to trial if this is going to go to trial. But
6: I do I have the answer to that. By oh, the way, oh you do, oh. I do. Oh okay. You want to yes. hear
3: the answer? It's uh, Dick mentioned. It, Dick, Defense attorney Hartpudney mentioned it in court. They would love to plead guilty all at one time to all the financial crimes in state court what that would mean is that the life without parole is off the table so what you have to do to get a life without parole for the breach of trust crimes one after the other so if they would agree to plead one day to one the next day to the other and another day to the third or at the same plea hearing consider them separate crimes he gets life without parole so they're putting the state to the to, the, to, to their work to get the life without parole because they're not agreeing to that they would uh, plead to as I said all together with not the life without parole possibility. But the state is saying, we'll put the time and money into it, Look, see you in court, and the first court date is November 27th, and I think the only real issue there, as they brought up, would be jury selection. Once you yeah. get past the jury selection, I do think the state's presentation will be brief and short and powerful.
2: Charlie, that's a callback to our conversation with the uh, state grand jury team with the Attorney General's Office. All the way back in March mm-hmm. of this year, mm-hmm. when they, they foreshadowed that mm-hmm. Alan Moulton didn't foreshadow it. They said directly that they're going after it. They told that was in response to your right. question. they want the three strikes. They mm-hmm. want those they want to make sure Alec Murdoch never gets out of prison.
3: And to their credit. With the jury tampering allegations, we don't know what's going to happen with those. That, as an insurance policy, it may well make some sense to do that.
1: Yeah, they may have to deal with a, another a retrial on the murder, but we are waiting to see what happens with that mm-hmm. with this evidentiary hearing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, what, we were
2: ta- what we were talking about before, and and I think a good segue, uh, mentioning Corey Fleming in federal court, they were there showing their gratitude for him in helping in their investigation and cooperating and uh, owning up to his mistakes. And Judge Newman, uh, excuse me Judge Gurgle in the federal court even said when he sentenced Fleming to 46 months, that's three years, 10 months, in federal prison, that he was concerned about over-punishment for Corey Fleming. And he said that he would personally write a letter to Judge Newman for uh, with his thoughts uh, about over punishment then we get into that plea hearing or yeah the pleading hearing earlier this month in state court and again yesterday and the stark contrast between Creighton Waters position and the state's position and the federal government's position and that is that in their view Corey Fleming was not cooperative was not helpful and he as Creighton has said a few times now went down the street bypassed the state tried to get a better deal somewhere else after he initially in creighton's in creighton's mind in his assessment of things and what the evidence showed them. Fleming was not contrite he was not any of the things that the he was painted as in federal court he was very much playing the whole Alex. Alec Murdoch fooled me too. I was another victim. Mm-hmm. Until I was
1: one was, of my favorite words that I heard of this, he said it again yesterday. Corey was Corey says he was hoodooed. Well
2: <laughs> No, he got there's caught a with lot his, of evidence yeah. that
1: show, that he brought out that said there was there was a lot of uh colluding as he said. Yeah, and the
3: one that struck struck me I was just so disappointed that a lawyer here in South Carolina would do this but that trip to the World Series Mm -hmm. did you catch that I mean to actually take money from your client's uh, trust account and falsely claim it's a medical expense then go to the World Series with Alec Murdoch it It was shocking
1: cut me a check I need I need what was it like nine thousand or something
3: eight, eight nine grand
1: um because we need to we need to get on a jet there's a you know The World Private Series is line. coming up. I gotta
3: go. Yeah, it was, it was um, really disappointing to hear that it was among everything else.
1: And of course, that was the Pinkney money, which mm-hmm. I hear. Let's take a, a chance to hear uh, Creighton Waters express um, what we're talking about right now as far as this state versus federal issue. Arch, for
4: zero to five years, is not enough, Your Honor. It's not enough for the reasons that I expressed to you, it's not enough because of the difference between what was admitted to in federal court and what we have exposed here today. It's not enough because of the difference that today is where there's the first real accountability, a real conviction for Pamela Beaton. And it's not enough because the state judicial system needs its say for those who abuse it. I said before, a lawyer should not have a decade of conduct and get one stop shot. shopping. For that reason, we submit there should be a lead sentence for the Satterfields and a consecutive lead sentence for the Pinkies. Thank you, Your Honor.
0: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get
4: any better than this.
0: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
1: Well, it certainly felt like listening to that clip that um, that Judge Newman was totally on the same page as the prosecution on this.
3: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I you know, I may be biased since I appointed Greatwater's Waters assistant attorney general, but I just thought the way he presented that case in court, it was just really, really impressive advocacy. As well as, by the way, I thought that Eric Bland did terrific as well as Justin Vanberg and the victim speaking. I thought that presentation was so, so powerful that it just won the day with with uh, with Judge Newman, as it should have. Yeah.
1: And it wasn't an easy day to win in some mm-hmm. ways, too, if you looked at it from just face value of walking into that courtroom. Mm-hmm. We are, we're down in, just to set the scene, we're down in Beaufort County. Um, we have notorious, infamous Alec Murdoch being brought up from, you know, uh, prison where he, you know, that sort of what we all expected to be sort of the headline, I think, to some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we're paying attention to Corey Fleming, but there, to some degree, we still have a lot of eyeballs, a lot of people there because Alec Murdoch was there. Correct. Um, and also in that courtroom, I had a chance to speak with some of the people that that had come out to support mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Fleming. And it was um, a, a host of people. I mean, it was, it was family. It was a paralegal. It was it was people in the community. They wanted to see what was going on. And then there was this uh, subsection of people in the the audience and there were over a hundred people there Wow! in the audience or in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the other subsection was people that just wanted to see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They knew all these people so well. Right. And I thought that was, you know, that really spoke to the small town mm-hmm. of where this all occurred. And, mm-hmm. it, and it brought me right back mm-hmm. to how this ever actually happened in the mm-hmm. first place. Right. And you have Murdoch, You've got you've got Fleming. You've got Lafitte. These are really well-known people in mm-hmm. the community. Mm-hmm. Some people just came out because they wanted to see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, and then of course there were the real victims, the, the Satterfields and, mm-hmm. and Justin Bamberg, who's representing the Pinckneys. So, mm-hmm. uh, and and the media, and we saw a huge influx because obviously we have all these things starting to pile up against each yes, other. Don't we? Um, and and that was going on as well. So it, for waters to take the the reins of what was going on with Corey Fleming and really start pounding away as we've seen him do on every single point. He didn't let anything get away, didn't he? He knew
3: it cold and I I take it that obviously he prepared but it seemed to me that he actually lived it. Uh, He went through some of that where the statewide grand jury starts it and I'm assuming he'd lived this day and night for probably years now and uncovered all of this incriminating evidence against Corey Fleming, and he detailed in great... Wow. You know, it was just very powerful how he detailed that when they would confront Fleming with information, he would admit the least amount possible. They went through that over the years, over the months and years. I just thought when you... Stood back and and of course, who who you know, very few people would have time to listen to this. If you do, please do because mm-hmm. it's three hours of a really excellent presentation by a prosecutor. But what I took from that was just the how could somebody do that to to anyone when you're in a position of trust? And I didn't get an explanation really from the defense mm-hmm. as to how why he did it, other than pure greed.
1: Well, what I heard were two things that that really were sticking out to me was uh, one his lawyer uh, Debbie Barbier mm-hmm. who also from what we understand knows these knows the defendant personally very well oh, is that and right? and you know and and mm-hmm. had you know, rela- relationships mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the the family and mm-hmm. and friends. You know, mm-hmm. they, had, they had all kind of mm-hmm. grown up in the legal circles I together. See. That's what it sounded like to yeah. me. Am I right about that, Drew? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she said that when he first heard about what had happened with the Satterfield money, she had made a comment in the courtroom that uh, he was appalled, like, oh, my, you know, made, was like, oh, my gosh, that's the Satterfield money. That's millions of dollars, and that he was, he was, uh, truly surprised ah. that the money had been coming ah. all this money had been I coming see. out of it so there was a real sense from his supporters in the room that he was it was duped duped he was gullible he had trusted alec alec had done enough shell game switching around that he had maybe gotten lost in the process So that was the big thing that I heard in there was that they were still trying to hold on to... Yeah, that dog didn't uh, hunt, at it? That dog did
3: not hunt in that courtroom.
1: And there's a problem with that. And Drew Mm -hmm. and I have been looking at that very carefully because there was a case that, once again, Mm -hmm. um, Creighton Waters mentioned that went on in a personal sense, right?
2: Yeah, Which, which Creighton described the earlier case that unraveled, uh fleming's i was duke defense like i i and i wanted to touch on something real briefly before we get into this the and charlie you touched on this but the point that creighton made about admitting to the him admitting to the least amount possible the way creighton phrased that was really interesting in the thought experiment he put on the judge and the courtroom to ask them to put put their thinking caps on can you believe that Corey Fleming was at his most pure, at his most righteous, at his most altruistic, uh, had the best of intentions when he was also at his worst, with his hand in the cookie jar, with his uh, just elbow deep in the in the conspiracy? It doesn't track. It doesn't follow. Like, oh, I was you know I just wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to step up. I wanted to come forward. Um, no, you were caught. Uh, you were caught and you were trying to make it easier on yourself and when you got trapped or seemingly trapped by your actions, you went around us and you went down the street as Creighton keeps putting it, you, you went down the street to the federal, to the federal side. Now what, what we were getting into there, what unraveled all this is what Creighton described as Satterfield in reverse. So the Satterfield case, notoriously, it's Alec Murdoch sues himself. And he, he's really doing all the legal work. He's pulling all the strings, even though he's the, quote, defendant in the case. Uh, he's, as the homeowner, uh, whose homeowner's li- insurance is liable for damages for Gloria Satterfield's death or wrongful death. It, that's the whole thing. Murdoch hatches the scheme. You know what? We'll just sue me. And then we'll all get a cut of this money, and we'll use the we'll dangle the carrot of, oh hey, uh, Gloria sons, Michael, Tony, we're, you're going to be set for life. You just come over here to my buddy Corey Fleming. Mm-hmm. He's going to take care of you. We're going to sue me. We're going to get all this insurance money. And in the in the meantime, Alec is the one actually playing lawyer. Alex is the one actually again the the puppet master. And to Creighton's point, he first brought this up. In the plea hearing, and I spent a considerable, considerable amount of time on this, but where the where it fell apart is that this scheme had been pulled pulled off to perfection before, not by Alec, but by Corey Fleming and his family, in which wow. Corey, Fleming's <laughs> wife, wow. yeah. Corey Fleming's wife, Corey Fleming's wife was right? sued. Corey Fleming's wife was sued by Corey's first cousin. Um, as, and the first cousin was serving as a guardian ad litem for a minor who was
1: unnamed, but a, an
2: unnamed minor. And, and I, I've, gone, I've gone at length. That information of who that minor likely is, is out there. I just haven't been unable to personally get someone on the record to say, yes, that's who this is, or look at unredacted uh, court documents to confirm. But that reporting is out there uh, I'm fairly certain Mandy Matney with the the Murdoch murders podcast or the true sunlight podcast. They had covered this in the past. Again, I'm just saying for transparency's sake and to give credit where it's due that information is out there. I just have not been able to independently confirm it. However, this minor was related to both the guardian ad litem, therefore also likely related to Corey Fleming and his wife. That said, Corey's first cousin, as guardian ad litem, sues Corey's wife. Alec Murdoch is the attorney for the guardian ad litem and the minor. And it is revealed through the state's investigation that Alec Murdoch was doing no legal work. He was just a pass-through. He had to put his name on it so that it wasn't apparent that the real legal work was being done by Corey Fleming, who was suing... Who was the they were orchestrating oh, wow. the same scheme a, a a slip and fall accident from a vehicle in the rain suing a car insurance policy to get money for injuries and then there was fee splitting as Craig wow. waters described it between where it looked like Alec Murdoch was getting money for services rendered as a lawyer but in reality, Corey was keeping all the money. What? What? So maybe so, Alec Murdoch learned from So maybe, maybe Alec Murdoch learned right. from Corey Fleming. That—that's the, that's
1: the. Because the date of this of this incident.
2: Twenty twelve to twenty fourteen, it, wow. it, it precedes Satterfield.
1: It precedes Satterfield, and it is
2: mm-hmm. so
1: when he kept on honing in on because of the Pinkney issue, mm-hmm. because of the Satterfield issue, he really hones in on. This has been going on for a decade, you yeah. guys. And hey. He even knew how to possibly orchestrate this, allegedly, because he had Satterfield in reverse. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, funny you say
3: that, because I at did At the beginning. Yeah, one just legal point. I was I was a little bit um, surprised. You know, typically at a guilty plea, unless there's a conviction, you don't go into prior bad acts because of the back-and-forth possibilities. But Creighton Waters did, mm-hmm. and there was really no objection from the defense. I don't know if they worked that out ahead of time, or the, the conduct was so bad, who cares if they throw thrown some other things, but I did think that was... Um, you know, telling that it went on for so long.
1: Now that you say that, there was not one objection. Mm
3: -hmm. Would
1: would you ever object during a sentencing hearing?
3: Uh, Usually you sort of try to work it out with the prosecutor. What are you going to go into in terms of prior record? I'm assuming Creighton would say, I'm going to go into all these prior bad acts that are not convicted, and then you could have a a, a totally separate hearing on that. You know, Judge Newman's heard it all. And so (laughs) the fact that you object to it and say rules in your favor... You know it it, it it he I'm sure he would disabuse his mind of it, but I was a little bit surprised at that because it was all this talk about things going on for years and years, and there are no convictions for it, so it's a little unusual in in state court there there's a way in federal court to get in what's called relevant conduct, but again he what do you think maybe of the three hours that might have been like ten minutes
2: so it's a healthy portion, and again he mm-hmm. he kept making his he kept mm-hmm. circling back he kept doing the appropriate argument the 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 stringing of or the threading of the theme, and and there was one other aspect there that that I was that we also need to touch on. What what was the cherry on top of that whole murder or Satterfield in reverse, is that Creighton pointed out Corey Fleming just a few months before Gloria Satterfield's death. Had personally reached out to Forge Consulting, the, the structuring, the annuity company, mm-hmm. the annuity firm right. that handles large lump sum right. settlements and right. getting people their money from lawsuits and right. insurance settlements. Forge Consulting, real business. That gets into the whole. How did Alec and Corey and Russell Lafitte and Eddie Smith and the downstream mm-hmm. folks? How did they launder the money? How did they right. steal the money? All these. It was Alec Murdoch's bank account, personal bank accounts, accounts plural, one at Palmetto State Bank, one at Bank of America, under the name Forge, just Forge, not Forge Consulting, the legitimate business. Mm -hmm. But Creighton uncovered an email chain involving Corey Fleming where he reached out to the real Forge Consulting and got clarification on how to structure settlements with them, which says... They're in writing explicitly to Corey Fleming just a few months before Satterfield's death. If Forge is involved, the money cannot come through the attorneys. Right. It cannot come through our, your trust account. Right. It cannot go through your law firm and then to us. It has to come directly right. from the insurer, the insurance yeah. company, to our accounts. And then we divvy the money according right. to, these, according to right. the settlement agreements. Right. And that's where, that's where they prove that Fleming had...
3: Knowledge. knowingly right. uh, been, knowledge, yeah. Yeah,
2: knowingly gone around yeah. what he knew to be the actual rules and had affected it because they pointed to a further email where the lawyer for Nautilus Insurance is asking Corey, hey, how do you want me to handle right. this money? Mm-hmm. How do you want us to handle this check? Talking Corey, about the
1: millions of dollars. Yes, millions the of four, dollars. Four million, wasn't 4.3? it? Four point
2: three. And Corey tells him, uh, standard check, write, write us a check knowing full well that he can't receive the money and then structure it, and then he wants to claim that, oh, I didn't know that when I was writing those checks to Mm -hmm. Forge, not Forge Consulting, that when I was writing those checks to Forge, I didn't know that Alec was stealing all that money. It just does not hold up. It did not.
1: Well, we have some more clips to play, and I think that, um, you know – as we said, the the Satterfields were present. We heard from mm-hmm. Tony Satterfield, um, the the Satterfield sons, Gloria's sons. Um, both of the sons were there: Brian, Harriet, and Tony Satterfield. They talked. Their lawyers talked. And you know, you had you had said um, some of the the lawyering once again that we saw yesterday was pretty was pretty strong.
3: I was just wild by the presentation you had after listening to Creighton Waters go through these horrible uh, crimes by the defendant. Then you had Eric Bland representing the, um, the Satterfields uh, after they spoke. I just thought the way he presented that, the um, again, yeah. just, just, it was just so powerful. And then Justin Bamberg, uh, one thing that stood up for me with Justin speaking was how he talked about, you know, in my part of the world, uh, my geography, you know, some people might say 8000 or $9,000 is not much, but the minimum wage is 15000 something and so you've got to work half a year to get that money, and that's, that's before taxes. And I, I just thought the way he expressed things, it just brought home the...
7: It was what heartbreaking. Do,
3: what do you think the motive... I still can't wrap my head around why someone would do this. Did, did he need the money, or
2: was it just greed, or what was going on there? Uh, I, I think it was much like what we saw with, with Alec Murdoch, is he got upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, according, to, according to Creighton... Corey owed money on taxes. He owed money on mortgages. He Is that was, right? It, he just got behind, and he took the easy way out. That's I
3: wonder like, why that. that didn't come up in court. I'm not saying that would excuse it, but it would would, would, would somehow explain the or horrible give, or
1: any kind of like sympathy whatsoever for the defendant. Right, yeah. Anything like I mean, at least you know Alec Murdoch was like going for the whole "I had a drug addiction. I was trying right. to fight this." Right. I mean. Nothing like we didn't hear anything and 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 you have to say, like we do know the the things that the state did say in on fleming 's behalf, you know, yes, he only gave as much as you know mm-hmm. a little bit here and there. he was not a victim, but he did get the money back to him. He was the first one to get the money back to him, and there was also this uh guilty plea that has put him behind bars for twenty years right. two decades he 's going to be an old man when he gets through all of this. Well,
3: he'll probably, I would, I mean, I'm thinking 85% of the. So how old is he now?
1: He's, yeah, I think he's like 54.
3: Oh yeah, he will be.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think he, he, I think he's got to be somewhere around there. Sorry if I'm I'm getting it off a little bit, but he's, he's in, yeah.
3: Yeah. He'll, he'll, I did, I did notice. He's
1: he's like right there. He's around 53, 54 years old. I mean, the way they've, They've structured this. It sounds like there's a lot of time that he's going to have I to. I think he will. Do I, you know, uh, um, I want to play this real quick? This uh, Eric Bland. I've got Eric Bland and Bamberg mm-hmm, yeah, here. Maybe I we'll I just am. play them back to back. Yes. Yeah, they're great. Um, these are, of course, Eric Bland's lawyer for the Satterfields, and Justin Bamberg is representing the Pinkney family. This
5: whole Myrtle, Fleming Lafitte debacle has stained our state. And I'm gonna leave with saying one thing. The hand of one is the hand of all. And Mr. Fleming is pleading guilty to every single charge, which means every single element of every single crime and every single fact that Mr. Waters has announced form the basis of those. So I ask you to do your, your duty, to look at this as these are state court independent charges, not to look at, well, he's been sentenced in federal court, so that kind of takes care of him. These are claims that our citizens, the state of South Carolina, brought through a grand jury, advanced with our dollars through the South Carolina Attorney General. And I'm confident that the end at the end, you will give that proportionate just sentence that deals with, um, Retribution, to punish Mr. Fleming appropriately, but not overly so. Deterrence, to tell me and every other lawyer, you cannot steal from your clients. Your duties are to your clients, not to yourself. Thank you. Everyone believes
4: that Mr. Fleming regrets everything that he did, not just to them but to the Satterfield family over a decade later. Nobody doubts that he regrets it. It's hard to not regret your decisions when you're sitting there. I think everybody regrets that except complete sociopaths. We do not believe that he is remorseful for what he did.
1: You know, and what broke my heart, I just have to say that when he said he was, um, Justin Bamberg said, you know, what, what What broke his heart about this whole story too, was that if, if, Corey Fleming needed the money so bad. Mm-hmm. If he had gone to Miss Pickney, if he had gone to Miss P and said, Miss P, I need some money, she would have given it to him in a heartbeat. Wow. And I think everybody kind of wow. heard him say that and kind of just took it in for a minute. This is a woman who just lost her, mm-hmm. her precious son in this horrible mm-hmm. car accident. Mm-hmm. She's, she's still having medical procedures. Right. I don't know if it was related, but she's in the heart, right. you know, getting some medical procedure during this actual sentencing. Right. And you know, it, it And it was hard. It was hard to uh, imagine the the grief Mm -hmm. that these families have Mm -hmm. felt.
2: Mm -hmm. And to your point, Charlie, with Justin, he has a, Justin has a mastery of relatability. Um, Like you said, with bringing it home, drawing that perfect analogy of what what $8,000 means to a woman from Allendale, South Carolina, who makes a minimum wage job, earns a minimum wage salary. Um, He's, he's very much in his element whether you see him on the state house floor or in a courtroom that way, the ability to make it again relatable, Mm -hmm. cut to the chase, and put it in terms that anyone can understand. Bland, Eric Bland is, uh, he, also in his element very much. He's very comfortable in a courtroom in a setting like that, speaking like that. That's on display with the clips that we heard. What stuck out to me with Bland yesterday, and we said so much about Creighton Waters, uh, how buttoned up he was and how he had everything, like he lived that case, as you said, Charlie. Where I thought Eric Bland really accentuated Creighton's presentation is where he came back and Bland's specialty is lawyer misconduct. Like he he sues other lawyers, Mm -hmm. right? That's, that's, and he talked about that yesterday. Bland came back and he really sprinkled on the salt and pepper with the missable details, Mm -hmm. the little things that had to happen for the bigger crime. The mechanics of it. Yes. Yes. Uh, Like this wasn't filed. This piece of paper doesn't exist this procedure was broken all the little things leading up to that just drive home the point mm-hmm. this was not mm-hmm. an accident this was willing mm-hmm. misconduct this was willing participation in a criminal conspiracy and that that was the big take a home take home for me with those two uh, Justin Bamberg and Eric Blair
1: that's a great point all of the little things mm-hmm. right and and that's the thing that is what um we were we really saw on display was the kind of legal work that was going on that was so methodical that you just, it was like they were just wrapping that rope. Every single strand was getting tighter and tighter and it was getting to the point where it was unbreakable. And, and it reminded me, I, we had an opportunity, you can hear it on one of our past podcasts. We, we talked to a, um, a gentleman named Frank Worrell who uh, specializes in forensic financial Mm -hmm. accounting Mm -hmm. and has worked with federal agencies to uncover schemes, Ponzi schemes, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And I asked him, I was like, how does this happen? How does this, to your point, how does this happen when you've got people that are already making a lot of money? Mm -hmm. They're already doing really well. And he he said, you know, what he's seen over and over again in these high-profile white-collar crimes is that they take a little and get away with it. And then they take a little bit more. And then they find out that they can do it. And they keep on going and keep on going. And maybe you bring in somebody else, like Mm -hmm. the Murdoch, Mm -hmm. Fleming, or Lafitte Mm -hmm. issues. And now they're caught up in it. And you have to keep on going with this scam or you get caught. You are going to get caught, Right. (laughs)
0: Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place
1: But yeah I thought that, I thought that was an interesting way to look at it is that it's mm-hmm. a slippery slope mm-hmm. It starts with
3: a little bit of money then goes so. well, that seemed yeah. to be the case with him in a way because he talked taste about you're the a
1: addicted to it, maybe.
3: but what uh, you know to me what shocked me too was the vulnerability of his clients. Huh. I mean these are people that wow. I mean, how could you take advantage of the Satterfield uh, children? The, they're adults now. And then Mrs. P., as she's described. He, and he knew her, right? He really knew her. He'd visit her a number of times. I thought Justin went into that quite effectively, too. And so the how, how callous all this was, this behavior. It wasn't just really financial. It really just really hurt people, uh, the person he knew in particular. It was just really uh, shocking to hear, and hence the
2: 20-year sentence. And to explain on what Ann said a moment ago about how uh, as the as the afternoon went and Creighton's presentation got more and more in depth, how tight that, how tight it got, how the the true. yeah true. It, Yeah, it was closing yeah, know, in you know, on them, they couldn't yeah, get away from it That's true. And I think more than anything Creighton, beyond, beyond the point that Corey was involved intimately and was a major part of this, he wasn't a victim beyond that that, what Ann was saying, speaks to why they went so hard after Corey Fleming in state court because this was a representation of the state's work. And again, we're going back to the point right. and re- repeating what Creighton said about going around us and going down the street to the feds. The implication there is that, yes, the federal government and the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, uh, all these, all these federal agencies they were investigating as well and yes they were doing work. But they came in after the fact of the state grand jury's office and sled who it is the state's contention had done the bulk of the work and had really put in the hours and become and live this case again to, to as Charlie said, had lived this case and had really done the the police work, the investigative work to stick it to Corey Fleming, Alec Murdoch, Russell Lafitte, and then Feeling trapped, Corey goes around him and hand delivers the state's mm. work on a platter with True. his attorneys True. to the federal government True. and gets – and and Creighton even pointed this out. He Judge Newman said he did not read uh, any of the fe- federal proceeding transcripts and Judge Gurgle's statements, but Creighton did. Creighton brought that up because one of the points that – with uh, feats um, excuse me, one of the points fleming's attorney Debbie Barbier said what she kept making is uh, he didn 't take any deals, he had no guarantees. this was him just coming in here and throwing himself at the court 's mercy and trusting that the legal system that he loved and worked in for so many years was going to treat him fairly and justly in 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 recognition of in recognition of that and Creighton came with the receipts, as they say. He pulled out that transcript, and he said, right here, Judge Gergel even notes that, yes, in a way, you did get a deal to go to the feds, to go to the well, U.S. Attorney's Office, because they only charged you with one crime, one count of conspiracy, and you got three years and ten months in prison for right, it. Right,
3: and the max sentence was, ten, was five. Yeah, so they went yeah. from 20 to five, so the most exposure was five. and Yeah. So... I would I say. Do not you think that, from from the defense standpoint, I do think we need to put a little plug in for her. I mean, she oh, and, did and put. I, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, she did everything she could relative to to oh. what she had to work with, so to speak, and and presented that. But I do think that the state won the day with with the arguments.
1: Well, and and to that point, like what really brought was brought home to me with, with her presentation. Mm-hmm. I have to say she was wonderful mm-hmm. to watch. I mean, mm-hmm. she is smooth as glass. Mm-hmm. When she talks, she just goes through it and. You know, and to the point where, as as much as preparation that we saw from the prosecutorial team, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, which I should say because it was it was Debbie Barbier and I saw one other lawyer there. I know that the AG's office is stacked Mm -hmm. full, and because with good reason they had a major case to prosecute. Mm -hmm. But she had every letter. She was willing to go through every letter again for Newman. She had every witness right there. She was ready to go through the whole thing again. And she had just done this in the pleading. And what she kept on trying to come back to was, listen, Judge Newman, they're trying to make this into a bigger deal than it really is. Like they're trying to say that he was, they even admitted, she said, that they knew uh, that, that maybe he wasn't, Fully privy to all of the right. misconduct of Murdoch, so how can we go after Corey Fleming so hard mm-hmm. when he's being you know uh, hoodooed, as you know as as Waters said. so here's a clip from um, here's a clip from uh, Debbie Barbier as she 's trying to explain um why. His analogy, his, his, you know, speeding analogy that we kept on hearing, they were, you know, he was saying, you know, Creighton Waters said basically speed limit is 55. The defense keeps on trying to say they're going 58, but we're saying they're going 90. Like Corey right. was in this 90, right. 90 miles an hour.
7: Mr. Fleming has pled guilty to each and every count that he's been charged with. That doesn't happen very often. He pled guilty to you know, all of the conduct in federal court and he's pled guilty in this court to the conduct. And so he's not here to make excuses for himself or to call himself a victim or to place the blame on anybody's shoulders other than his own. But I have to take issue with the theme of Mr. Waters' closing argument during this, this, these, this, this process here. He's, he says that Mr. Guilty, Mr. Fleming's guilty plea is the equivalent of pleading guilty to speeding at the rate of 58 miles an hour in a 55 mile zone when he's really going 90. And I have to say, with all due respect, this analogy is a gross mischaracterization of Mr. Fleming's guilty plea and the illegal conduct that he has fully acknowledged. He has He's pled guilty to each and every count in state and federal court, and that's a total of 24 felony counts. And that's hardly a speeding ticket. And he has not run away from his guilt in this case, not in any way whatsoever. He has, um, as Mr. Waters would have you believe, he's not run away. He has confronted his actions. He has stepped up to the plate. He has fully acknowledged that he was wrong, that he committed illegal acts, and that he is guilty.
3: Right. She may have misspoke, though, because I do think the count in federal court was dismissed. Right, yeah. the twenty-year count, but uh, she may file a motion for reconsideration on this. I don't think it'll be successful, but I think to step back from the whole thing. I think Judge Newman referenced this. You're uh, otherwise a, a genuine, nice human being, or have these goodness, goodness quality. to you, quality to you. But I'm here to punish you for what you did do, and it's didn't he say it was the worst crime by an attorney in the history of South Unprecedented. Carolina? Unprecedented. Yeah, you've it was, never
1: ever seen anything mm-hmm. um, that that was this egregious. Mm-hmm. There was never anything this egregious that he could go back to and even relate to. Right. Um, and, he, and he kept on saying that mm-hmm. as well when he, was, when he was sentencing him. You were saying you were noticing Corey Fleming's body language. I thought, you know,
3: I wasn't there in court. I did watch it um, on, on my computer. So you I,
1: probably had it better. I was sitting sort of behind I just, so I couldn't see him. Yeah,
3: as well. you, I thought his body when he, language when he first came in was relatively confident, uh, not inappropriate. But as the day wore on, he just shrunk in his chair. I think his face turned red. He just looked, from a physical standpoint, because he had to hear all this. Mm-hmm. He probably suspected what might be coming, and it was clear to me. I thought there was an element of surprise, perhaps,
1: mm-hmm.
3: from the defense side on just how uh, how how, how harsh about. the the the, uh, the. I mean, he sentence.
1: cried. He 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 cried, and he said how sorry he was, and mm-hmm. he apologized to. Miss P., and he apologized to Satterfield Sons and said that he had, done, he had not done his job, that he mm-hmm. had not been the lawyer that they had hired, that he was not the, the mm-hmm. person that he had said he was. Um, and maybe they thought that was going to be enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe they thought mm-hmm. an apology, an honest-to-God apology would be enough, but it wasn't even... Uh, Newman wasn't even...
3: No, it didn't get close. No. And, you know, the state requested really the type of sentence that Judge Newman impose which was for each separate uh, family that he stole from to have consecutive lead sentences. And that's exactly what he did. The defense requested Judge Gergel's sentence, in, in effect, that that would be it. And so uh, that's, that was the decision um, with Judge Newman.
1: Well, and it certainly makes you think, what's going to happen next? Uh, we've got... Russell Lafitte has, um, and I'm going to get to Alec, too, in a second. I'm not the elephant in the room, man. Um, It's just, uh, it's a lot. But uh, Russell Lafitte did show up. I thought this was just a bit of courtroom uh, theater once again. We have Russell Lafitte come sit down. He's in his coat and tie, large man, tall man. How tall is he? dude?
2: He's taller than me, and I'm 6'4".
1: Yeah, he's got to be like 6'6", or something. Huge. huge. Mm-hmm. So he towers over everybody in the room. It's not like you can ignore that Russell Lafitte's in the room. Right. And he's in his coat and tie. His co-conspirators co- yep. are in, one's in a federal jumpsuit,
7: <laughs> the other one's in a
1: state jumpsuit. Um, they're not all together. Uh, they did keep them separate, which I thought was interesting. But Russell comes up, uh, Mark Moore, his attorney starts, you know, making noise about, hey, we got to look at this, we got to look right. at that um and everything we do is related to this super villain Alec Murdoch so Newman goes fine let's get Alec Murdoch in the room and y'all go off to the, you go off to your corner and we're gonna uh, Newman it, it was just so interesting yeah he ran a
3: good courtroom what I liked about what he did was boom 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 we're scheduling these things we're gonna set dates and uh, he 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 Judge Emmett fan club. That thing could have gotten out of control very easily. It did not. He kept the uh, train running on time.
1: I talked about when Alec comes in. So Alec comes in after that. Alec comes in. He's got what appears to be a sunburnt face with his orange prison garb on. Did you notice that? That he looked real red in the face?
3: I thought that. You know, when he came in, he was treated sort of like a celebrity, didn't you think?
1: Yeah, well, and he was not shying away from that. He actually kind of... The whole shook thing one was. Of the lawyer's hands yeah, he did. Yeah, smiled.
2: yeah, he shook. shook he Robert, walked in with a big smile on his a face. A big right. smile on his and face, and he uh, he approached uh, State Representative Todd Rutherford, who is also a practicing attorney, and he Rutherford represents Lafitte. Has been added to Lafitte's defense team, and Alec just shuffled. Uh, in shackles right up to the feet with the biggest smile you've seen. Uh,
1: Rutherford. Uh,
2: uh, Yeah, to Rutherford, I'm sorry. Uh, Alec shuffles right up to him, big old grin on his face, sticks his hand out, and Rutherford stands up to meet him and shakes his hand and just has has just as big a smile on his face.
1: We're all just sitting there going, what just happened?
2: A convicted murderer.
1: Yeah,
2: convicted killer Mm -hmm. of his
1: wife and son Mm -hmm. is still getting this treatment. And, you know, it was was a little extraordinary for a minute. We kind of all... Kind of look at it, it's a little
3: cringy. Yeah, and I never thought about it the way you just phrased it, though, and you and Drew talked about how these three separate actors, or we think together actors, all in the same courtroom at the same time. I don't know if that's ever happened, right, in this case?
1: No, no.
2: and I, no. Yeah, so I well, n- had all three. Fleming and Lafitte have been in the same yeah. room before, but here, not with, with status conferences. Not with the uh, defendant right, Murdoch. Right. No, Murdoch.
1: Not with Alec Murdoch. Yeah, and so Alec, they went through several motions mm-hmm. with the, not getting to the jury tampering, because we're still waiting to see what happens with that. Um, but the um, they they were trying to go through, you know, Dick Harpootlin was uh, the defense attorney that was speaking on behalf of Alec Murdoch, and he was really, really pushing. All
3: right, can I talk about that now? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's one of these courtroom moments, right, you don't ever really see, where, where uh, uh, defense attorney Harputlian was just giving Creighton Waters just such a hard time for calling the murder case so quickly and ahead of all the financial crimes. And, and Creighton stands up and points out that mm-hmm. defendant Harputlian, the reason it went first is because he asked for a speedy trial. Unbelievable answer. But I'm a little bit puzzled as to why that didn't cross his mind when he was making that uh, complaint against the state. Basically, well, didn't he
1: come back right after that and say, "Oh, well, the only reason we set a speedy trial? Didn't he say something about that as well?" I don't know. I there
3: think, was a little bit of a back on I that, mean, that I but I mean, some formal motion them. to speed the thing up, and he sped it up for him as at his request, and right. he was complaining about it. Anyhow, one well, of the moments that you. Maybe you can sort of sense it a little bit more of an impact when you're listening on a computer, not being in the courtroom. But I just thought, what in the world? And Grayton was very smooth, just got up, and you asked for it.
1: Well, and it was, I mean, I kept on, I actually texted Drew this morning, like one of the first things I woke up, I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't understand why are we going through this? And you were you were. Oh, no, this is earlier. a very important, this uh, is, is a fight.
3: Now, this is, a, and actually in light of the status of the Murdoch appeals, this may be uh, dispositive of this whole thing because, <laughs> but procedurally, I think the defense is in a really weak spot. I mean, he testified under oath that he committed these financial crimes. He readily admitted them. That's going to be clearly admissible in any prosecutions. And so what they've got him on is all they have to do is three, I mean, it probably will sped up for the whole week knowing the Murdoch uh, case, but do three separate breach of trust cases, I think it's over 10,000, and it's three strikes, you're in for life. There's no getting out of that one. And I think they've got them cold on that, and I think that, uh, and that's why they're gonna fight all they can. I think they're gonna lose these battles, and that's why Judge Newman, I think, Because he could see basically the defense lawyers are saying, I'm just, we're really too busy to be in court now. We have all these things going. We just can't be. And
1: he even said, But didn't you say, Judge, that you wanted to retire?
3: (laughs) Yeah, we're too busy. (laughs) And Judge Niman. Whoa. Heard all that and said, how about November 27th? Because mm-hmm. all the dates they are throwing out, they were too busy to be in court. Those are free <laughs> times. It's
1: like, I was going to go see my wife in slopey Yeah,
3: I had like two or three, uh, I think, weeks uh, in November, maybe December. So we have a court date. I think that one's going to hold, don't you?
1: I think so. I think November 27th. But I don't know what's going to ha- Is there any way that the murder, if there's... Some issue with this double murder trial with the allegations. I don't think it would affect. That won't affect. It it might even. It might
3: even give them more reasons to do the prosecution. And uh, I'm really. uh, That would be an interesting trial to watch from a lot of different ways because I think the defense is going to try everything they can to make sure that there can't be a jury can't be found. That's I think their only hope on that one. Mm -hmm. But I do think jurors. The standard is not whether you've heard about it or have an opinion. Whether you can set aside those opinions while you're here as a juror. And I've got to think they'll find jurors. uh, That one's in Beaufort County, correct?
1: That's right. We're going to be back in Beaufort, beautiful Beaufort.
3: Mm -hmm.
6: Yeah.
1: And then Russell Lafitte, of course, he was the other defendant that was there. Russell really, basically what they did, it looks like there is an enormous amount of discovery that they're very worried about. Mark Moore, and um, Todd Rutherford.
3: Yeah, and I thought, didn't you think, I thought Judge Newman, be, and even Creighton Waters to a certain extent became somewhat sympathetic when it became clear that the uh, defendant Lafitte was going to be way into Florida. Right. and he said, Not for what me, he asked for. Mm-hmm. For me to get there from a practical mm-hmm. standpoint, prepare for trial. So I think that actually, and Todd Rutherford will have this, what we call legislative immunity in South Carolina. So he's out from like January to, 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 to I guess, up up June. to May, yeah. May, June. So I'm thinking that trial will probably end of next year versus. uh,
1: And what you're speaking to is that both um, uh, actually Fleming and uh, Lafitte have both asked to go to Jessup in Georgia, which would have been, according to um, the defense for Lafitte, that would have been like an hour away from mm -hmm. Lafitte's house, which would have made. You know, discovery a lot easier when you're going through something like forty thousand documents right. or something. And but what happened was, it, the it was the Federal Bureau of Prisons who decided really where he's going to go. Gergel recommended it, but it doesn't matter. Corey Fleming could be headed down there too now. Right. The
3: um, right. And Judge Newman did say, did you recall that he said said they're asking for an appeal bond for Lafitte. So that's he right. said, I'm going to hold off setting saying that's anything until right. right. we hear from that. So that should be some more news next couple of days as well, right? Yes.
1: Yes. And, well, absolutely, because Lafitte's supposed to report next week Mm -hmm. to or or wherever it is near Orlando, I guess.
2: We have next week in federal court, we have a change of plea hearing on Thursday, September 21st. We have a change of plea hearing for Alec Murdoch on his federal indictments for the financial crimes, the white collar crimes, money laundering, fraud, uh, all that. Is that right? Does Judge Gergel have that case as well? He does. And Mm. the same day... As that's going down, Russ Lafitte is currently as of this moment scheduled to report to prison at FCI Coleman in outside of Orlando, Florida, and begin his seven year sentence there. Now, his attorney Mark Moore did say yesterday that they were still awaiting what what 's happened is Lafitte appealed his federal conviction on the bank fraud, wire fraud conspiracy fraud conspiracy and then misappropriation of bank funds, his six federal charges that he was convicted on, he's appealed his conviction and sentence, and that has, is now pending before the U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. While that's pending, Lafitte, who has been out on bond, I don't think he spent more than, I don't think he spent a night in jail. Is that he, right? He got booked. Uh, he got booked a long time ago uh, and ha- had a mugshot and everything, but he has not spent any time in jail Significantly, he's been out on bond now with heavy restrictions on travel and things like that. Would that you would expect, and he wants to stay out on bond. I see. He's asking. Uh, he's made some procedural arguments to be able to stay out, uh, stay out on bond during the adjudication of I his see. appeal. And so, Corey Fleming,
3: he's not mixed up with Lafitte, is he? What he testify they, against him?
2: They. No, it's interesting. Um, I, they did. They do touch yeah. early on mm-hmm. in, I, I think, involving the Pinckney matter. Okay. Uh, the Pinckney and Thomas – I think the Pinckney and Which Thomas – Which is beyond
3: case. the statute of limitations in, in federal, federal court. Federal court. Federal court
2: they, yes. they touch early on there, but for the most part, it, it really is interesting. If you go back and look at the timelines, mm-hmm. the bulk, uh, it seems, of Alec and Lafitte's right. m- uh, misdeeds were – 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. Alec and Corey was 2015, 16, 17, 18. Right. So uh, Fleming
3: testifying against Lafitte doesn't work because of the statute of limitations. In testifying in state court, he's only got the goods, so to speak, on Murdoch, right? Yeah. And I don't think they really need him. Although yeah, they've maybe-
1: all got the goods on Murdoch. Murdoch... I Went think ahead and under oath something.
3: swore they committed these crimes. Yeah, and, uh, and
1: we have a confession of judgment from yeah, on the money as yeah. well. So
3: they might have him testify just to add extra evidence, but he may be a bit of a dangerous witness. He may not be that cooperative in testifying. Who knows? So that will be a decision for them to make.
1: Unbelievable day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? Uh, unbelievable day. And, and you know, it, just when we think we we, we've got our arms wrapped around that's spinning out of control
3: my humble opinion i mean we've got the jury tampering we've got all these prosecutions going on and we'll see the uh the results of the of the tampering let's uh hope hope that there's a really good response by the state and by the clerk of court and we'll we'll revisit that next week
1: well exactly we will be revisiting that and and please keep in touch with us here at abc news 4. (laughs) um we're going to try and keep you up to date uh, also on unsolved south carolina uh, what happens later today, because today's the day, 10 calendar days, is how long they had to respond. I I, we actually had a chance to ask um, uh, Creighton Waters quickly, well, and I was in there, so you know, planning purposes, should we know he, I mean, he kind of looked it around and was like, look where I am right now, Anne, give me a break. I'm just, uh, uh, I've got to get through this. And then we're going to get this response to the jury tampering allegations. But I did want to say a shout out as well to our chief Votog, who is behind the camera for this. He also does our music and um, is going to be helping us uh, get all of the sound from this episode to you guys Uh, Shortly, So thank you, Max. And we will be back with you next week. It looks like we're going to be needing to be on this, uh, uh, doing updates on this podcast regularly on the Murdoch front for sure. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, uh, Charlie, for being here. Thank you, Drew, for being here. Pleasure as
2: always.
1: We will stay in touch with you guys. Please stay on our uh, social media because this is a developing story.
6: New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.